listening to Big Boom Podcast. Coming to you from Deerfield Academy. Hey everybody, Nick Baker here with Ann Brown. Hey Nick, I feel like it's been ages since we've worked together. I know, it brings me back to sophomore year chemistry with Dr. Thomas. All the atomic structures, bases, pH. Oh, don't forget about the periodic table. Oh, I don't even want to hear the words periodic or table used in the same sentence. All right, enough about chemistry. So Nick, what do we have in store for our listeners today? Well, today we will discuss the injustices surrounding the prison system of the United States. We first want to address the fundamental flaws of the incredibly high incarceration percentage really diving deep into racial justice. The second topic we will cover is environmental justice, asking questions like where are coal plants being built and who are the ones most affected by Superfunds. Wow, it sounds like you have a lot in store for us today. But first, it's important that we establish a baseline of facts and information about incarceration in America. Nick, can you give me a sense of how large the prison system is? Well, to start, America is only 5% of the world's population, but we have 25% of the world's prisoners. 25% of the world's prisoners. And this isn't because we have strict laws. I mean, just yesterday I did some jaywalking in front of my dorm. And as of right now, I'm still walking around. This American system was primarily built with the intent to oppress minority communities. See, within that prison population, African Americans account for 40% of prisoners, despite only representing 13% of the total population. Similarly, Latinos make up 20% of prisoners, but only 15% of the population. By locking away these minority populations, white America remained in control. So this brings up the question, What are prisons for today? At their core, they're supposed to be used to contain those seen as a threat to society. Going to prison and the time spent there is supposed to be a criminal's punishment, though, not the conditions of the prison. This fundamental idea that length of sentence, not the prison itself, is a punishment, and how distant incarceration reality is from that is where we begin to see human rights violations. See? Criminal law has defined the five reasons for punishment as deterrence, incapacitation, rehabilitation, retribution, and resolution. Deterrence is the idea that future crime will be prevented through frightening both the defendant and the public. Incapacitation is where prisons come in, preventing crime through removing the criminal from society. Anne, do you want to explain the other three? Sure. Rehabilitation is tricky and often not seen in America as much as other developed countries. It centers around crime prevention through changing the criminal's behavior. We see other countries doing this in a positive way through community service and outreach, but often in America it's a negative thing. On the other hand, retribution is removing the desire for personal vengeance. And finally, we have restitution, which prevents crime through punishing the criminal financially. Wow. Sounds like prisons are attempting to do a lot of change with a lot of people with not a lot of resources. If I'm being honest, I don't love the sound of rehabilitation. Changing behavior sounds like it can border on the line of torture. 
humans weren't meant to survive in isolation. By forcing inmates to confinement, they're often driven into psychosis and act out of fear. Exactly. And oftentimes prisons don't have the financial or spatial means to isolate prisoners safely, which starts to contribute to health issues. Take COVID-19 as an example. Without air filtration and open spaces, it's nearly impossible to stop the spread. You might be sick of hearing COVID pop up over and over, but let's talk about this very contagious disease in a limited space, such as prison, and how this isn't anything prisoners haven't seen. They're no stranger to very harmful illnesses they can't run away from. They're like a mouse trapped in, well, a mouse trap. Well, the friendly neighborhood cat comes to see all the commotion. The Marshall Project, a nonprofit journal about criminal justice, shared the stories of four inmates at different prisons through their time during the COVID-19 pandemic. Bruce, an inmate at Sing Sing Correctional Facility in New York, shared that, An incarcerated person must be extremely ill to be tested. It's amazing how scientists have the resources to test lions, tigers, and other felines, but incarcerated people don't hold the same value, so we can't get tested. Many of us have underlying issues like diabetes, asthma, and high blood pressure. There has been no compassion for us. If prisoners have a hard time getting tested for COVID, imagine how hard it would be to get lead tested, or tests that prove that toxic waste plants and coal plants have effects on the inmates. Although this is the most recent tragedy, we have seen this happen time and time again. One of the prisoners even compared the health system to that of MASH from the Korean War era. Too many people with too little space. There is a reason why 589 of 1,821 federal and state prisons exist within three miles of a Superfund site. Because, well, no one wants to live next to criminals and no one wants to live next to a coal plant. These two undesirable sites have been so closely matched together because there might be trouble if an energy company places these sites in a small town. However, a prison on the other hand, I mean, who's going to protest? The inmates? And even if they do, who will listen? Prisoners are sent to prison as a punishment, not for punishment. They're not sentenced to 20 years and a contagious disease. The most disturbing question is, do we know what's happening? Does society know what we are doing to prisoners? Do state and federal prisons know and acknowledge sickness as just another part of their sentence? Truthfully, I don't think many civilians nor politicians know the severity of environmental issues in prison. It's hard to gain attention and sympathy when there's no one person or group actively punishing these prisoners through the water systems, air, etc. It's just like the lesson we learned earlier this term about slow violence. You're right. Perhaps, to really understand what's going on, we need to listen more to the stories of those on the inside. Here's a story from previous inmate Richard Mosley. Maybe the first or second day my nose just closed up. While I was there, I was noticing everybody was on allergy-type medicine, but I could barely breathe. My situation progressively just got worse. It was just a nightmare. In Fayette, they call it tea water because it's brown. The water is bad, 
the air is bad, the ground is bad, the soil is just sitting on top of an excess of 50 million tons of toxic waste. As he stated, the only relief they are really offered is allergy medicine, which does little to nothing for lead exposure. Well, today, Mosley works to bring the environmental and racial injustices in the prison system to the public eye, there are still hundreds of thousands of people suffering through the same things. In front of me here, I have a graph demonstrating 11 country jails across New York City, LA, and Chicago in the environmental harm that is facing them. If you could see all the colors in front of me, you'd be pretty impressed with the overwhelming sense of red. Just red. It's like I had 3D glasses, but just took out the blue lens and replaced it with another red lens. Nick, remember they can't see it. You're going to have to tell them what it's about. Ah, right. The graph, as I mentioned earlier, there is an overwhelming amount of red indicating that prisons are located closer to hazardous wastewater, toxic waste, diesel pollutants, and closer to cancer risk than 95% of the country. And nine of the facilities are located closer to toxic wastewater than at least 97% of the country, with one of them even facing a lifetime cancer risk from the inhalation of air toxins in the 100th percentile, meaning there's nowhere in the country facing more risk than them. Wow. Now, how can people ignore something this dangerous? Honestly, Nick, I'm not sure. Perhaps not enough people hear these stories, or perhaps not enough people think they can make a difference. Or sadly, not enough people care. But you're probably tired of hearing our voices. So take it from Professor David N. Pello, the Department Chair of Environmental Studies and Director of the Global Environmental Justice Project at the University of California, Santa Barbara. In February of 2017, the Oregon Youth Authority, that is the government, state government agency in charge of managing and supervising and administering the, the state's juvenile prison system, began testing its water. And across its 11 facilities found that fully nine of the 11 had copper and lead poisoning in their water off the charts. And so youth incarcerated in this, this, this system, this state system in Oregon, can range anywhere from 12 to 25 years of age. And when we're talking about lead poisoning, that uh, of course raises serious red flags. As you just heard, this poison was in a children's facility. And while not all prisons facing these issues have inmates as young as 12, Oftentimes, there are minimum security. These typically include people who have been convicted of fraud or embezzlement. We don't share this to make the point that maximum security prisons deserve harsher treatment, but rather to argue that these are more often than not people within your community, your neighbors or the workers at the local grocery store. The lead water was affecting hundreds of children Yet, rather than working to move the facilities, the only action done centered around immediate solutions rather than future prevention. Bottled water and blood tests are effective for the time being, but kids are already sick. A plan to fix the 154 taps found with high lead concentrate is being built, but without a timeline. 
How long will these kids have to survive with minimal water? So, you might be wondering, why don't people care more about this? Frankly, we didn't really know how big of an issue this was until formulating our research on this podcast. And it's hard to get an audience when your cause doesn't have a bad guy. No one is dropping lead poisoning into their water cups or burning coal in their beds. Their tragedy is simply where they are. The prison system is fundamentally broken. It doesn't have the proper resources, space, and sanitation. So what now? We know this is happening, and now so do you. This makes me think of what we said earlier about not really knowing what we're doing. The Marshall Project, who we spoke about previously, believes the way to fix the prison system is to let the public inside, to expose the injustices and discrimination firsthand. If people come face to face with these issues, they're impossible to ignore. A few years ago, the EPA added prisons as a category in its environmental justice screening and mapping tool. This is going to allow for collecting and studying contaminants in the water at prisons. While it does not immediately clean the water or purify the air, it is one step closer to making prison an inhabitable place. By studying the water in these prisons, the government then becomes responsible for the quality of the pipes. The EPA has noted prisons as an environmental issue that needs to be addressed. This acknowledges the environmental issues when they do come up, and there is no debate over if there is an issue. Now, people can acknowledge that EPA tested high levels of lead in the pipes, and it's hard to ignore an official test. We hope from our podcast today that we gave you a little fear, showed you that people near and far are suffering from things considered essential to survive. But I also hope we provided some hope that things can get better and there's people out there that care. But for now, that's all folks.